Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the October 12th, 2021 Major Mondays webinar. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about investigating and preserving subrogation opportunities at the outset of your case. Now, uh, I do apologize that this one is in fact pre-recorded, uh, but the question and answer system still works the same. So just go ahead and submit your questions uh, on the box uh, and I'll get an email of your questions afterwards and I promise I will answer them. All right, so let's start with just subrogation rights uh, generally in New York. So it comes from section 29.2. The timing is six months after the claimant has taken compensation. There's a couple of different definitions for that. Uh, and section 29 says six months after the awarding of compensation. Um, so uh, finding out exactly what the time limit is um, is somewhat difficult, uh, but you can generally rely on, especially if there's a board award running the uh, six months from that period or the six months from uh, confirmation that the claimant has received payment. Uh, when in doubt, obviously they're gonna construe in favor of the claimant, so pick the later date. Uh, or one year after the date of loss, whichever is sooner. Um, serving this notice operates as an assignment of the claimant's cause of action uh, upon 30 days written notice to the claimant. This is required to be served via certified mail return receipt requested or personally served. Uh, I included some language here about just how powerful this is. The assignment is absolute and the claimant does not have rights afterwards. Uh, and once assigned, the cause of action is vested solely in the carrier and the claimant retains only an inchoate interest. Uh, in a prospective and uncertain recovery. Um, so basically, once uh, there's a valid assignment under Section 29.2, the right is yours to prosecute or compromise as you will. The claimant doesn't really get a say in the matter. Uh, in New Jersey, we have Section 40F. This is not an absolute assignment like New York, but it gives us the option to effect a settlement or institute proceedings if the petitioner fails to do so within a year of the date of loss. Um, the notice required is 10 days uh, after written demand on the petitioner, and just as in New York, the petitioner really has no right to participate after we step in. Uh, it's a shame this case I cited here, the El Halu matter, uh, is not published because it's really one of the only decisions in New Jersey that spells out definitively what the petitioner's rights are once we serve this 40F notice and start prosecuting. Um, so it's a, it's a shame it's not published, but it's still very instructive and I recommend looking at it if you're wondering about how this functions in New Jersey. So there's benefits beyond just subrogation and serving these notices that we've talked about in prior webinars. Uh, serving the Section 29.2 notice in New York or Section 40F notice lights a fire under the claimant to get moving on their third party case. Uh, think of the settlement leverage as well. Uh, reimburse my lien in full or I'll just get it back from the defendants directly and you'll lose your claim. If they're trying to get you to uh, waive a portion of your lien because the third party settlement is not high enough. Uh, well, rest assured, your lien is probably less than that third party settlement and the defendants will be all too happy to reimburse you uh, rather than pay the petitioner or claimant the full amount of the third party settlement. Uh, so having valid subrogation rights is pretty strong leverage. Uh, the sooner there's this, a recovery, the sooner we can apply our offset rights and leverage settlement of the workers' comp claim. We start paying benefits as a, at a reduced rate in New York and New Jersey, uh, and suddenly when you're only getting you know, one-third of what the total disability amount is weekly, uh, or you're having to pay out-of-pocket for medicals and submit claims for reimbursement periodically, uh, it's a hell of a lot less attractive to just continue going on with the workers' compensation claim. Um, so this can serve as pretty powerful leverage using the offset um, to head towards a settlement. 
And finally, it puts the defendants on notice that we intend to pursue our lien reimbursement aggressively. So uh, the subrogation steps. Uh, step one is investigate. Uh, step two, determine liability on the defendants. Uh, step three, note the applicable statute of limitations. Step four, find out whether the claimant or petitioner has filed a third party case or will be pursuing. Uh, step five, preserve rights with a section 292 or section 40F notice and file the complaint in NY Supreme Court or NJ Superior Court and serve as step six. Uh, so these are just general guidelines about how the process works and I'll take you through my recommendations for each of these. Step one, investigate. So you can see we have uh, examples of things you've probably seen many, many times before. The employee claim C3 uh, or the employee claim petition. Uh, left is New York, right is New Jersey, obviously. Um, now, we all know that, uh, especially, especially in New Jersey, uh, the claimant's not really going to allege the facts all that specifically. It's usually a little better on the C3, but this is a good starting point. You know, occasionally you'll see something like, oh, this other driver ran a red light and T-boned me. Okay, well, we're off to a good start for third-party liability then. Um, but there are some other sources which we'll get into right now. So you can check out the employer Freud first report of injury uh, and the initial statements at the outset of the case. So these are the witness interviews that generally the handling CP is going to reach out and do, claims professional, uh, at the start of the case. You can find this in the, the claim notes, usually rewinding way back to the beginning. They'll touch base with the employer and get a, an account of the accident. Uh, if the claimant is unrepresented, they'll touch base with the claimant or uh, their attorney if they are represented. Uh, and you'll usually have a little um, record of the dialogue from the outset of the case with the witnesses involved. Um, so that can give you some sort of factual basis too. Police report, obviously very helpful in most motor vehicle accident cases. Um, the adverse carrier is going to ask for that before they pay anything, so um, very valuable. Accident photos, particularly of damage to motor vehicles or maybe of a pothole in the street uh, or a patch of ice or something of that nature. Um, photos of the damages involved are always very helpful in terms of proving your case. Uh, the early medical reports, so you're going to check out the history of present uh, illness um, or, you know, the uh, summary that maybe the emergency department or urgent care got from the claimant uh, as soon as they showed up and started treating. And you can usually um, sort of look at these different descriptions across all of these different sources and arrive at a concrete set of facts. So the goal of your investigation is to amalgamate all this information in one spot and arrive at what you think is definitively the way this whole thing went down. Step two, determine liability. Uh, so here's a little tip that uh, many of you who handle subrogation are probably already aware of, but if not, here it is. Um, you may notice when you look at police reports in New York or New Jersey, uh, there's all those boxes on the right, uh, and you know they put random, seemingly random numbers in there. Um, so you can find these guides uh, literally just by Googling uh, how to read New York Police Accident Report or New Jersey Police Accident Report. It's the first thing that pops up. Um, they both have apparent contributing factors and New Jersey calls them apparent contributing circumstances. But, you know, if the claimant is vehicle one and the other driver's vehicle two, and, you know, for vehicle one, it says none or it's blank and vehicle uh, two, it says, you know, driving improperly, following too closely, exceeding the speed limit, wasn't paying attention, like driver inattention or distraction. Um, that's, a good, that's a good way to start pointing toward liability uh, without actually litigating it yet. Uh, so assessing your cause of action. So 
Think of your different civil case theories when you're determining whether subrogation is viable. Slip, trip and fall, motor vehicle accident, medical legal malpractice, product liability, construction accidents, particularly labor law in New York. You know, basically any one of these uh, civil cases for which the claimant can get recoveries. Uh, the question you're asking yourself is, can someone else fairly be blamed for the worker's injuries? That's the question we're trying to answer here. Uh, if the answer to that question is yes, and a third-party action seems viable, uh, you can request an SIU report. Uh, most carriers will be familiar with exactly what that is, and there's an uh, SIU department that'll handle it, uh, or another investigative report from one of the outside vendors that handles investigation. Um, make sure you gather information and do your due diligence. Um, do we own the property or the vehicle? Was a coworker involved? Uh, is there a uh, contract with a subrogation waiver or indemnification clause? Uh, check in advance for any issues that might be able to defeat your claim, uh, like a subrogation waiver or the involvement of a coworker as the primary third party defendant. You wanna make sure you're aware of that stuff in advance. Do I have a case? Um, so great place to start, uh, highly, highly recommended. Uh, the New York Civil Pattern Jury Instructions, the PJIs you'll hear them called, or uh, the New Jersey Model Civil Jury Charges. Uh, why are these so useful? Well, they actually tell you the elements of the cause of action you're alleging and what you'll need to prove to a jury. Um, so it'll literally lay out, you know, how to determine whether a party was negligent. And then your job is simply to compare the facts of your case to that standard. Uh, and that'll give you a good idea of whether you have a chance at trial. Um, you can match up the facts of your case to the elements of the tort, general negligence, premises liability, negligent operation of a motor vehicle, professional malpractice, for instance. Uh, and believe it or not, some of the jury instructions uh, even exist for subrogation cases. Well, they'll talk about what the worker's compensation carrier has to prove in order to proceed. All right, note the applicable statute of limitations. Uh, I won't belabor this point um, because, you know, obviously there's various statutes of limitations. Uh, generally three years in New York, generally two years in New Jersey, New York medical malpractice, 2.5 years um, from the operative dates I have listed there, New Jersey medical malpractice, two years from the date the harm arose or the date of the alleged malpractice. Usually this ends up being two years from the date the person discovers that they uh, were harmed by malpractice. Legal malpractice, three years in New York, six years in New Jersey. Wrongful death, two years from death in New York, two years from death in New Jersey. And intentional torts, one year from wrongdoing in New York, two years from wrongdoing in New Jersey. All right, beware of public entity suits in New York uh, against municipalities like the city of New York or against public corporations. You need that notice of claim under uh, municipal law section 50E uh, within the first 90 days of the date of loss. And suit has to be filed within a year and 90 days of the date of loss. Against the state of New York, uh, you need a notice of intention, um, similar to the notice of claim, or the actual claim itself must be filed within 90 days of the date of loss. Uh, and suit has to be filed within two years of the date of loss if you're using the notice of intention. Note that the attorney general has to receive it before the 90 days is up. So I wouldn't be waiting until day 75 to start putting together, together your notice of intention for a suit against the state of New York. Uh, that's something you want to get rolling at the 60-day mark at the minimum um, because they actually have to have it physically in their hands before the 90 days. Um, for wrongful death claims, the notice of claim has to be served within 90 days after the appointment of a representative of the decedent's estate and suit has to be filed within two years of the date of death. 
is the worker pursuing the case? So some of you might recognize this slide from last month's webinar, uh, just reiterating the various do uh, dockets that you can search for free in New York and New Jersey. You have NICEF, uh, Web Civil Supreme eCourts, New Jersey eCourts, and PACER for federal cases. So you can conduct a docket search of uh, these online dockets and see if anything pops up under the claimant's name. If the docket search is negative, uh, you can contact the claimant, uh, petitioner, uh, the claimant or petitioner's uh, attorney and ask whether they intend to pursue it. In New York, there's actually something, it's very rarely used, but it's supposed to be filed. There's a form C-121, which is a notice of a third party action uh, that's supposed to be filed with the board. Uh, so you can check the board file for that. And if we're coming up on a year from the date of loss, you can serve a written request for third-party action update on the claimant slash petitioner or their attorney. So this is just a letter saying, hey, we're at the one-year mark. Have you filed anything yet? Uh, preserving your subrogation rights, step five. So we talked about the time limitations earlier. Uh, provided your, uh, the time has lapsed, you can go ahead and serve the Section 29.2 or Section 40F notice. Um, you don't have to wait the year or the six months in New York um, to serve these notices. They really can be served at any time. Practically, it makes sense to um, serve it as you get closer to the year mark, just uh, because that's when action's actually going to start happening and it's more likely that the claimant or petitioner will, will be pursuing the case. Uh, at that point, they rarely ever you know, get the ball rolling on that within the first year. Um, personal service or certified mail return receipt requested are musts. Uh, you want to be able to prove that your subrogation rights are valid, uh, and especially in New York, Section 29.2 even requires that by statute. Um, so you want to be able to have like an affidavit of service or a certified mail receipt uh, to support your claim when you file that complaint. All right, public entity suits again, uh, just because this is a thing and we're going to be addressing it next month in uh, the Major Mondays webinar in more depth. Um, but I really, really just wanted to stress this for subrogation opportunities in New York. The time limitations under Section 29 do not extend the time limitations for public entity suits against municipalities or the state of New York. So just because Section 29 says you can't serve um, or the, the assignment is invalid within the first six months or a year after the date of loss, whichever comes sooner, first six months from the awarding of compensation rather. Um, that doesn't mean that you get an extra six months uh, beyond the 90 days uh, to serve the notice of claim. Somebody has to adhere to it. So I cited to a couple of cases here, even though an assignment has not occurred, the carrier should file a notice of claim to preserve their subrogation action against the municipality. Um, same goes for filing a uh, against the state of New York in the court of claims. Somebody should have done something within that first 90 days. Um, the carrier can rely on the claimant's timely notice of claim, but the inverse is not true. If we file within the first 90 days and the claimant doesn't, we can't uh, waive you know, in favor of the claimant and have them step in. They have to file their own notice of claim, um, but we can take advantage of theirs, which only makes sense since we're subrogated to their rights. Um, bottom line here, as you can see at the bottom, when there are time limitations, someone has to timely file. You cannot rely on these timing requirements of Section 29 as your way out of adhering to the law. All right, and finally, step six, file and serve the complaint. 
So uh, you would bring the case, as we talked about earlier, in a county supreme court in New York uh, or a county superior court uh, law division civil part in New Jersey. Uh, it's $210 in New York to obtain an index number, $250 in New Jersey to file the uh, complaint. Cases filed in the claimant or petitioner's name. So the example is, you know, carrier as subrogee of abbreviated ASO claimant versus defendant. Um, make sure to allege and prove your compliance with Section 29.2 or Section 40F as part of the complaint, especially if you're filing in the name of the claimant or petitioner as you should be. You're going to want to be able to specify why uh, you're filing and not the claimant or petitioner and why that's allowed. Um, so this is what we talked about earlier with the certified mail receipt um, or the affidavit of service from a process server serving the notice. That's going to be an exhibit to your complaint and you're going to allege facts in your complaint that the statute gives you these rights and that you have taken the proper steps to preserve these rights and that the cause of action is now yours to do, do with what you will. Um, so you're going to want to allege and prove compliance with Section 29.2 or Section 40F as part of the complaint. It's a good idea to include as exhibits these items, uh, a police report, if any, particularly in motor vehicle accidents, the C3 or claim petition, which is basically your proof that a workers' comp claim is being pursued, that you got dragged into as the carrier, um, and uh, the subrogation notice that we served, 29.2 or 40F, with proof of service. Uh, just note that you know on the C3 and on the CP, the claimant's social security number, date of birth, things of that nature are going to be on there. So you want to make sure you redact confidential personal identifiers in accordance with the law before filing those as exhibits. Uh, and the birthday is also on the police report, so just be aware of that as well. Um, and finally, your last step, retain a process server to properly serve the summons and complaint on the defendants. All right, so as I mentioned previously, we're not live today, uh, but if you submit your questions, I will get an email list of all of them afterwards, and um, I promise I will get back to you on those questions. So thank you very much for joining us for this month of the uh, Major Mondays webinar, and I uh, hope you will join us next month uh, for public entity suits in New York and New Jersey.